0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at CandeoChurch.com. Good morning, Candeo Church. My name is Jordan Perhot. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Candeo. And I want to start off this morning talking about movies. I want to talk about Hollywood. Uh, I think we can all agree that one of the high value statements in movies is relationships but in particular, a very specific kind of relationship. Romantic relationships, right? In every movie, it seems like you got to have that romantic scene. As I've been musing on the text for this morning, you know what isn't super valued in movies? It's friendships. I was trying to think of movies that had the key theme as friendships, and I couldn't even hardly think of any now. You could argue that, like, Sam and Frodo, Lord of the Rings. I go, I'll give you that one. Uh, or some sitcoms that have friendship as a value statement. I go, great. All I'm saying is I did a Google search this past week of, I couldn't remember if it was, like, the best or the most popular movies on friendship. And for the most popular movies, I didn't even recognize the first one. You know what number two was? Scoob. Scoob. A fictitious movie, a cartoon movie about uh, a talking dog. Like, that's the pinnacle of friendship in our culture in movies is, is Shaggy and Scooby Doo. That's what we got. That's the best we got. And so I was thinking about this, and I go, man, I, I just think in culture today that friendship isn't really that valued. I think it's the first thing to fall off our plate, it's the lowest on the priority list. And I've even sat down with men here at Candeo Church, and, and sometimes I'll ask the question, hey, who are some like good friends you have in this season of life. And there will be times, uh, and it's shocking how often this happens where I'll get crickets and, and won't get an answer. I don't think friendship is valued today. I wanna ask the question this morning, what does the Bible say about friendship? Does God care? And if so, why? Or maybe a better way to ask the question is, If you don't have true, genuine friendships, what do you lose? Well, those are the questions we're going to be answering this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start turning to Proverbs chapter 18. Our key text will be in uh, 18. We'll we'll jump around a bit. One quick caveat to uh, this message this morning. We are going to absolutely unpack some key principles in God's word, but I'm also going to get very practical today. I think it's important to get practical with this topic. And to do that, I'm actually gonna give a lot of personal examples. Now, these are not prescriptive in nature. You don't have to do everything I do. This is just my journey, and I hope it's helpful for you as I share some of these things. But again, the big point of this morning is, what does God's word say about friendship? Well, let's go to Proverbs 18, verse 24, and it says this. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. One of many friends may be harmed, but there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. Before we start diving into this verse, I want to zoom out and go, why? Let's just answer the question right away. Why does friendship matter biblically? I believe after studying this text, talking with some elders, the purpose of friendship is to persevere in our faith and to spur one another on towards mission. Friendship shows the invitational nature of God. We we have an opportunity to invite others into our life, to do life in ministry together. And true friendships have a shared mission, and that is the mission of honoring Jesus and making disciples to the ends of the earth. So friends come together, they, they encourage one another, they sharpen one another, they spur one another on, and then we go back out into our mission fields and continue the work for Jesus And Proverbs is going to tell us this morning that wise people know how to choose, cultivate, and persist in biblical friendships. Because ultimately, we need friends that are committed. That's kind of my first point this morning. True friendships are committed. We need friends that are closer than a brother. Uh, verse 24, there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. Back then, familial relationships were a big deal. So, so to say closer than a brother, I don't think it's, it's ragging on brothers. I think it's saying there's, uh, there's a kind of friend that Proverbs is proposing that is so committed that it's as if they are closer than a brother. So how do you find those kinds of friendships? How do you choose, cultivate, and persist and committed godly friendships? Well, I think 1824 gives us our first clue. I think we need to narrow our scope a bit. One with many friends may be harmed. Proverbs is saying it's better to have one true friend than a hundred surface level friends. And unfortunately, I think the goal today in culture is to have as many friends as possible. Now, you may not believe this, um, I don't look it, I'm actually 32, this will age me a bit, but I remember when Facebook first came out and the definition of friendship just got blown wide open. Now apparently everybody was your friend and it was a competition, I don't know if you guys remember, this was like a competition to see how many friends you could get on Facebook. And I remember a handful of years later, looking at my friends list on Facebook and I had to delete, I think maybe a quarter of the people, because. I go, I don't even know who this person is, but apparently they're my friend on Facebook. The definition has changed. Now you go, well, what's the big deal? Who cares if I have a bunch of surface level friends? Well, unfortunately, these are the kinds of friends that turn their back on you when things get tough. And they are the kind of friends who stop talking to you as soon as you enter into conflict. There is nothing meaningful about these friendships. It's all about expectations and transactions, not about love and empathy. And not only is that just exhausting, it's meaningless. And at the end of the day, you look around and you go, after all the sideways energy, I still don't have any true friends. Is this you? Do you have friendships that are a mile wide and an inch Deep. Do you have friends that actually know what's going on in your life? Some of you today might need to stop focusing so much on the hundreds of friends and zoom in on like one or two friends and fully commit to them. So narrow your scope. The second thing I would say is choose wisely. Choose friends wisely. I want to drop a statement on you that I think in general is true. I'm just going to let it marinate for a bit. I think in general... You are the average of your five closest friends. In general, I think you're the average of your five closest friends. Now, as you hear that, are you encouraged or discouraged? Are your five closest friends the kind of friends who are going to encourage you, to spur you on, to point you to Jesus? Or are they the kind of friends that walk you down paths of sin and foolishness? Now, I got to add the asterisk here. Of course, believer, we are called to go out into the world and build relationships and friendships with people that don't know Jesus. Absolutely. As part of the Great Commission, that's what we're called to do. I'm just saying that the people we spend the most time with mold us over time. So my encouragement is that your strongest relationships and friendships would be those of Christ-centered friendships. So narrow your scope Choose wisely, and then I would say commit for the long haul. I don't know how many of you are going to know this name, but there's a guy by the name of Jack Owens who is a legend in the Salt Network, the family of churches that we're a part of. He is really, in a lot of ways, the guy who started Salt Company. It was called Baptist Student Union way back when, and he is again a legend. He is is uh, older, obviously now, and I've heard this quote a couple times uh, from Jack uh, that I, I just think is incredible. He says, "You know." When you get to your 50s, age 50 and beyond, you stop asking the question, who am I, Like, what friends am I going to live with or do life with? And you start asking the question, who are the friends I'm going to die with? And he had this, this very real moment and then identified some true close friends in his life and said, hey, every year, let's get together up in the mountains. We're gonna, and, and they've done this now where they get up to the mountains, they have fun together and all of those things. But every day they put a guy on the hot seat, draw him out, ask questions. He confesses sin. They pray over him. They've done this for years now. And I go, man, what an awesome vision for committing for the long haul in friendship. I love that. And I hear that and I go, man, unfortunately, I don't think our culture is good at this. Cody said this in our elder meeting, he said, I think our culture is too quick in friendships to cut bait and move on as as soon as things get tough. There is not a willingness to roll up our sleeves, to engage in conflict and the hard things in friendship and in life together for the rest of your life. I believe faithfulness and friendship looks like 30, 40, 50 plus years of going through life, joys and trials together. Who are those people in your life and how will you cultivate friendships with them? Especially, this is kind of maybe a little specific, but especially when those people start to move away. This hits home for me because we are a part of a church planting network and it seems like every year we're sending away a different pair of friends that we love. Uh, Not too long ago, Stephen and Mary Stuart Rice moved up to Cedar Falls, Iowa to be a part of our church for nine months before they helped us plant a church now in Gainesville, Florida, and Casey and I got really close with, with Stephen and Mary Stewart. And Mary Stewart at one point asked Casey a very honest question that I just loved. She goes, hey, is what we're doing, like this relationship we're building that we know has an end date, is this, is this kind of a waste of time for you? And Casey goes, absolutely not. Why? Because friendship is not based on shared location. Friendship is based on shared mission." but we still need to be intentional with those friends. For me, uh, one of my best friends, Paul Sabino, moved on that church plant. And what we've done recently is now, like, like the first Friday of every month, we get on a Zoom call together and just check in and say, hey, how you doing? And then on top of that, we put something on the calendar the next time we know that we're going to see each other face-to-face, which for us is actually going to be next month, really excited for it. But you have to be intentional with, when your friends end up moving away. But you also need to be intentional when your friends are living in the same town as you. This applies to both. I, I, I remember graduating from physical therapy school, coming back to, here to Cedar Falls, and one of my best friends from college, Brandon Peterson, also moved back to Cedar Falls. And I go, great, one of my best friends is in the same town as me. This is going to be great. And then we never saw each other. Have you had that? Where you're like, best friends right here in town, and then you never see each other. So I got sick of that, and so I said, hey, we're going to start getting coffee together the, like every Thursday. We're just going to do this and put it on the calendar because we're adults now, and apparently this is what we have to do. And we've now done that for over three years. Right? We started doing this back when I was on Salt Staff. And it's been so life-giving and so energizing. And in fact, I actually this past week got coffee with my dad. And he, he had mentioned to me, he goes, yeah, actually tomorrow I'm getting coffee with Mark Burhau. And, and that set a trigger in my mind. And I knew I was teaching the sermon. And I go, Dad, I remember you meeting with Mark Berhow weekly when I was a kid. How long have you been meeting with Mark? You know what he said? Since 1993, he has been weekly meeting with Mark Berhow. That is 28 years of consistent, committed friendship. And I go, that is awesome but it takes a level of intentionality and commitment for the long haul for those things to actually play out when things are great and when your friend is struggling. So true friendships are committed, but true friendships are also sanctifying. They're also sanctifying. Now, if I'm going to use a fancy church word like sanctify, I better define it essentially to uh, sanctify means to be made more like Jesus or to be made more holy so true friends help us become more like Jesus or another way to put it is they sharpen us proverbs says it this way in proverbs 27:17 some of you might be familiar with this one iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another So friends are to encourage one another and challenge each other to grow in Jesus. In our teacher team meeting, Jake said this, if you just think of the process of iron sharpening iron, it takes friction, heat, sparks, if you pull a sword away, the, moment, the first moment you see sparks, that sword is never going to get sharp, which means in true friendship, there's going to be healthy tension and conflict. If not, you are dull and useless. It is not enough to just be committed. We have to be purpose-driven and be sharpening for one another. Ultimately, we need friends that love us enough to say hard things to make us more like Jesus. Proverbs 27 also says it this way, verse five and six, better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Now we recently talked the last couple of weeks about words and listening, so I'm not gonna spend a ton of time here, but I wanna apply this concept specifically to friendship because if I don't mention this, I feel like we're not gonna get the full picture of friendship. This is counterintuitive to us, to wound our friends. We don't like the idea of hurting people, but true friends are not afraid to wound their friends as a form of love. Uh, It might be helpful for me to say it this way. Sometimes you need to inflict short-term pain for long-term health. Inflict short-term pain for long-term health. Medical doctors totally get this concept. Doctors all the time are inflicting short-term pain for somebody's long-term health. I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I went to uh, a mud volleyball tournament in Humble, Iowa at the county fair with my friend, Brandon Peterson. They dug out a bunch of pits. I don't know if you've ever seen this mud volleyball. I hadn't seen it before, but then they fill it with water. They put up the nets and you play. There was this big tournament and we had a team and we were ready to go. About halfway through the tournament, I stepped on something sharp and cut my foot open. I don't even know what it was. We're in a county fair in Iowa. It could be anything. I went to uh, some pickup truck and grabbed the first aid kit that was available, which at a county fair was essentially a water bottle and a roll of duct tape. So I rinsed off my foot, wrapped it in duct tape, and proceeded to play two more hours of volleyball in the mud. And I never claimed to be the sharpest tool in the tool shed, um, but I did that. And that next morning, as you can imagine, my foot had exploded. It was massive. It was infected. And I got home um, and my dad, who is a doctor, took me into the clinic and I got on my stomach and he cleaned out my foot. Like he, he flushed it. He, he had to like scrape some stuff out and then he had to put in this wick to drain out the pus. Now, I've experienced pain in my life. As a lot of you know, I recently broke my leg. Wasn't fun. This was a different kind of pain. I don't know if you've had something like that on the bottom of your foot, but I sat there on my stomach in my dad's clinic, biting a pillow going, this is ridiculous. I'd never really experienced that category of pain in my life. But what my dad was doing is he was loving me enough to do what was needed. He knew if he didn't do anything to that foot, I was in big problem. So, sometimes you need to inflict short term pain for long term health. So, let me ask the question do you believe that receiving or giving a correction or rebuke is a good thing? The friends that I trust most in this life are those who have been willing to speak hard truth into my life. Do you have that kind of friend? For me, the first time I really experienced this is when I came to Candeo and guys like Paul Sabino and Stan Hayek started to speak truth into my life. And now I have guys like Jake Herring and Cody Klein who are doing that for me. And it is hard to hear in the moment, but I praise God that he's given me friends who love me enough to say hard things. If you have friends who have given you correction or are willing to give you correction, do not be defensive, be thankful. That is not a common thing. Now, what if you're not receiving life-giving truth from your friends? If you're not, a bad conclusion would be, oh, I'm perfect, I must have everything together and must not be in sin. That would be a bad conclusion. A better conclusion is you might not actually have true friends. Either that or like what Cody said last week, your pride is so inflated that people can't speak truth into your not life, you're not willing to, to listen. We need to humbly receive wounds from our friends. Now, go to the other side of that coin. Are you the kind of friend who's willing to give a necessary rebuke? When was the last time you did that for someone else? For me, historically, I've struggled with this. I'm a people pleaser by nature. I don't like to speak hard truth. I don't like to inflict pain, but sometimes we need to say the hard thing and inflict pain because they need to hear it. Do you have friends who are maybe being right now lazy and selfish towards their family? Do you have friends that are being so consumed by the way they look or the money they have or the things of this earth? Is there sin in your friend's life? And are you willing to say something about it? And if not, if you're afraid, why? And does that fear supersede your fear of God or your love for that friend? We live in a culture that is... Plagued with avoiding conflict. We have got to change that. Don't rob your friends of the opportunity of helping them become more like Jesus. We must be willing to sharpen and to wound. So, friendships are committed, they are sanctifying, and finally, they are costly. We need friends who are going to love us at all costs. I think a good verse to start with this one is actually outside of the book of Proverbs, it's in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Two are better than one. If one falls, the other helps. When we are in a dark valley, we need God and his word. Absolutely, that is our anchor. But we also need a friend by our side. We need friends who will be there for us when we are in the tough spots. And I honestly think one of the best places to illustrate this one is actually in the book of Job. Quick background on Job. I can't get fully into it, but essentially a lot of bad things have just happened to Job. He just lost like his wealth, family, land, all these things. And he is agonizing over his trials. And in Job 2, his three friends come. This is what it says. Now, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about this adversity that had happened to Job, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. Now, if you know the rest of the book of Job, you know that as as his friends start giving counsel and advice, it actually goes south from there. But I love this picture. Job's friends, they came and they wept with Job for a whole week. When your friends are hurting, let me ask this. When your friends are hurting, what is the number one thing they are looking for or need from you as a friend? The number one thing. It is not pat advice. It is not you sharing a similar story of something that happened in your life. The number one thing that your friends are looking for you in that moment is your presence. Your presence to sit with them, to cry with them, To throw your arm around them, to be present. The Bible calls us to rejoice when others rejoice and to weep when others weep. We as friends should be slow to offer advice and quick to offer a shoulder. Proverbs 17 17 says it this way A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. True friends hurt when you hurt, and they don't leave you. It's not a convenience relationship. And I believe it is generally true that it is in adversity where we find out who our true friends are. Now, this doesn't mean that your friends always need to be with, hanging out with you like every hour of every day. That's not realistic. But true friends are available to you in your time of need. As Tim Keller would say, a true friend always lets you in and never lets you down. When your friends are in pain, in trials, and in suffering, do you find yourself pulling away and hoping somebody else will jump into that pain? Or do you find yourself leaning in and entering in at a deep level? Surface level friends flake out when you hit rock, rock bottom, but true friends draw closer. Guess what though? This takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, it is costly your friend's trials and you know this your friend's trials typically do not come at convenient times they don't fit nicely into your schedule and your daily to-do list there is a genuine cost to friendship the question is are you willing to sacrifice for your friend i think honestly the best example of this in the old testament is is found in first samuel Quick background on 1 Samuel Israel, God's people wanted a king for themselves, so God gave them a king in the person of Saul. Unfortunately, although Saul had a a decent start, he started to disobey the Lord and go down this downward trajectory and fall as king. At the same time, God was raising up his next king, King David. So you can kind of see this like plot line develop and you go pretty simple plot line, right? One guy falls, another rises. The curveball is a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son and was the rightful heir to kingship. His whole life, he would have been told, you're gonna be king. You're gonna be the next king. You're Saul's son. But then Jonathan met David and he realized, yes, that God's hand was on him, But then he began to cultivate a deep friendship with David. This was not a friendship of convenience. This was a very, very costly friendship. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Samuel 18, first five verses says this. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan shows true friendship as he loves like a brother and gave up everything. And you go, everything. He just gave him like robe, tunic, sword, what's the big deal? To do that back then, to give those items to another person as the future king is to essentially give up your kingship. Every boy or man in Israel would have loved that job. I want to be king of Israel. Jonathan had it coming to him and he gave it to his friend because he saw God's hand was on him. The cost of friendship was was high, but to Jonathan, he knew it was worth it. And I love this example because who does this remind you of? Well, it should remind you of a king who embraced a similar cost for friendship. Kind of king who loves unconditionally, who is closer than a brother and walks with us in our adversity. A king who allowed himself to be wounded for our salvation. A king who gave up everything so that we could go from enemy to friend. A king who was abandoned by his friends yet still chose to die for them. A king who laid down his life so that we could have eternal life. John 15 says it this way. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends, Jesus, the greatest friend, was excluded by God at the cross so that we could be included into the family of God. Jesus had nothing to gain and everything to lose, yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. If you want proof of how much Jesus loves you, you look to Calvary. If you want to know what it looks like to embrace the cost of friendship, you look to the cross. Jesus didn't just tell us what friendship looks like. He showed us as his lifeless body hung on a tree. We love because Christ first loved us, and we embrace the cost of friendship because Jesus embraced the cross. Are you willing to embrace the cost of friendship? We typically want friends who will serve us or friends that we can benefit from. It is one thing to have friends that have nice things or have similar taste in movies. But what about when your friend needs a place to stay for the next six months? When your friend's basement is flooding? When your friend needs their water softener put in and it takes multiple days to finish the project, which is what a friend recently did for me. When your friend's in the hospital and you get a call. When a friend needs you to pray for hours, days, and potentially years for them or someone in their family. When your friend is drifting away from Jesus and stiff-arming everybody in their way and walking in unrepentant sin. Remember a couple summers ago, Cody in our Habits of Grace class talked about community, and friendships. And he said, do you have the kind of friend who is committed to you that if you were to walk away from Jesus, they will never quit in chasing you down? And that hit home with me. And I actually went to a friend and I remember what coffee shop we were at and where we were sitting when we made this commitment to each other and said, hey, if I ever run away from Jesus, will you chase me down and take care of my family and vice versa? Who's gonna pursue you even on your worst day? Who will never give up on you? It might be time to have this kind of conversation with one of your friends. We live in a broken world and we need friendship. We need friends who will help us persevere in our faith and keep us in the fight until we die or until Jesus comes back. We need Christ-centered friendships that are committed, sanctifying, and costly. Today is a great day to ask some very key and important questions. Who are your true friends? Do you need to find, choose, cultivate true friends in this season of life? And what kind of friend are you to others? Do me a favor if you have really good friends, reach out to them, let them know how grateful you are for them. It's not common. Actually, we as an elder team, as we were talking about this passage, at one point we just kind of stopped talking about the passage and one or two elders just started sharing about friendships and their life and how grateful they were. And there was real emotion in the room. And for me, it has been a delight to study out this text because it has made me so grateful for the friends that God's put in my life. It is evidences of God's grace all over my life. And actually yesterday I sent a couple texts to a couple of my friends to thank them for who they are and what they've done for me. And I want to finish this morning with this. The Bible tells us that our life is a mist. It is here today and gone tomorrow. And the apostle Paul lived his life hard for the person of Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I hope, Candale, that when we get to the end of our lives, that we can look a handful of true biblical godly friends in the eyes and say, thank you for helping me fight the good fight. Thank you for helping me finish the race. Thank you for helping me keep the faith. Thank you for loving me at all times and pointing me to Christ no matter what the cost. I pray that we cultivate cultivate those kinds of friendships in our lives. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful that you as the greatest true friend laid down your life for us. You are uh, certainly way more than just a friend to us, but you are certainly not less than a friend. We are grateful uh, that you died for us on that cross And in light of that, would we be the kind of church that embraces friendship? True, genuine friendship that loves one another always is committed for the long haul, willing to say hard things and willing to to self-sacrifice for the other. Would we cultivate and have those kind of friendships? Thank you, Jesus, for the friendships in my own life. I pray that we get to the end of our life and look back and go, wow, I am blown away by the friends that the Lord has put in my life. Lord, go before us in all those things. We love you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.